Welcome to SAS Talk with Kim, your sustainability action series podcast highlighting how local governments are leading the way toward a more sustainable future. I'm your host, Kim Lundgren. I've spent the last 16 years working for and with local governments to help them create resilient, inclusive, thriving communities. I started this podcast series to connect you with the key people on the ground putting sustainability into action in their communities. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to SAS Talk with Kim. I'm your host, Kim Lundgren, and really excited today to have with us Grant Irvin, the Chief Resilience Officer for the City of Pittsburgh. Grant, how are you today? Doing well, Kim. Good to hear your voice. (laughs) Thanks. Well, we're so thrilled to have you. We're going to talk a bit about really the transformation, I think is the appropriate word, of Pittsburgh uh, from an industrial city to really uh, an incredible example of leadership uh, of a sustainable and and resilient community. Uh, So I'm excited to chat with you. Sure. Excellent. And so I want to kind of start with... um, you know, earlier this year, Pittsburgh was thrust into the, the spotlight uh, when President Trump, in his announcement uh, when to pull the United States out of the Paris Climate Accord, said he was elected to represent the citizens of Pittsburgh and not Paris. Uh, you know, that soundbite was, uh, went far and wide. Uh, I guess I first want to hear, like, what your reaction was uh, when you first heard that. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, when we first heard uh, the president's remarks, I think, you know, the, the days before everybody was uh, prepared for him to make uh, an announcement with regards to the U.S. leaving the, or his intent for the U.S. to leave the, the Paris uh, Climate Treaty. So we were kind of prepared for that, but what we weren't prepared for was his, uh, his integration of Pittsburgh into his comments. And I think the initial reaction was shock uh, and and surprise that that he would make that connection, uh, you know, whether it was uh, alliteration or or kind of his concept of history and what what Pittsburgh's ha- uh, past uh, was is is and was kind of indicative of in, in his mind in terms of our our connection to our industrial heritage. Uh, but but shortly following the the president's remarks, uh, our my boss and our mayor uh, Bill Peduto uh, responded back ra- rather quickly uh, and with great intent in terms of uh, you know the the real kind of Pittsburgh and and how our our vision is closely aligned with that of 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 many of the world's leaders and and the Paris Treaty itself. Yeah, and I felt like that was so telling because I know when I heard that, I'm thinking, "Wow, you have no idea what Pittsburgh's been doing, do you?" <laughs> like, and and under the leadership of Mayor Peduto and and others, it's um, it just seems so interesting that he would use that uh, example. It, it is. He he kind of missed the last thirty years. <laughs> you know, just three decades. Yeah, just just three <laughs> decades of history missing. That's all. <laughs> Um, and I love, you know, as you said, uh, Mayor Perduto came out very strongly um, after those remarks, and he co-authored an opinion piece in the New York Times with the mayor of Paris, Anne Hildago, really kind of reaffirming that commitment. Can you talk about why that was such an important statement and kind of if there was uh, any type of reaction around that? Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely a, an important statement, you know, for our work and for, I think, the, the vision of, of 
many of the residents of the city of Pittsburgh is that, you know, there is a, a desire and, and actually a lot of action that is following that up that, you know, we are, you know, writing kind of our history now with regards to our connection to the future. And that future is one is that is closely tied with providing a, a, a safer and cleaner environment and building an economy that, uh, you know, helps to fulfill that mission. And I, I think, you know, when the, the mayor came out uh, with, you know, the op-ed, that was to effectively help build that bridge between Pittsburgh and, and the greater global community. And, and you see a lot of cities doing that right now and understanding that uh, whether it's a dealing with the issues of climate change or migration or, or uh, global trade, that there's opportunities for cities to partner with one another and um, you know, for a city, you know, the size and scale of Pittsburgh to uh, be able to have that ability to connect with the city, the size and scale of of Paris is is, I think, one of the unique things that we're seeing in history right now. I agree. And, you know, that's such a good segue thinking about this whole think globally, act locally. Right. It's kind of that mantra that really has I know for me pretty much followed my career Um recognizing that we we are all part of one planet right and we all have a role to play and can contribute and it's that collective action that really makes the difference um and i'm sure that was a big conversation for you uh and the mayor uh, having just come back from united nations uh, global climate conference in bonn cop 23 uh tell us a little bit about that trip and the message pittsburgh shared sure it it was uh it was really a, a great educational experience uh, for us and in, uh, in, in terms of being a party uh, and a partner to the COP conversations. We were uh, there in, in large part because of a partnership that we've developed with ICLE uh, related to what's called the Urban Transition Alliance. Uh, and these are cities, uh, you know, cities that have a deep industrial heritage that uh, are coming together basically to, you know, both embrace that heritage, but also to use the lessons that we've learned as cities that have transitioned into this new global economy with an industrial past at, at our at our in our mindset um, to start to solve some of these global challenges, particularly around the issues related to climate change, and that partnership uh, that ICLE has help take uh, the leadership in pulling us and convening us together has brought together uh, three cities from China, three cities from Germany, and three U.S. cities, uh, Buffalo, or excuse me, Pittsburgh, Buffalo, and Cincinnati, along with the German cities of, of Essen, Bottrop, uh, and, and also, uh, uh, Essen, excuse me, Essen, Bottrop, and then uh, some of the other uh, partners there in the Ruhr Valley. Um, and then three Chinese cities, uh, two of which are, are simply districts within Beijing. And uh, the thing that was really most interesting about kind of the intersection of those cities was just the common cause and common experience that we have experienced, whether it's uh, steel manufacturing in the case of uh, places like Buffalo and Pittsburgh or um, uh, coal extraction in, in the case of a, of a city like Essen, um, you know, these, these common, uh, histories of the fossil economy, if you will, 
have both left scars on our city, but also uh, have given us the impetus to change and, and move forward. Um, so that that was one of the, the key highlights of the, the bond exchange for me. The second piece, I think, is, uh, you know, the mayor had highlighted this uh, a great deal in his ability to uh, meet with other, you know, mayors uh, and, and share these experiences and kind of, you know, using cities as the North Star, if you will, with regards to how do you address these issues of, of climate change? Um, so in, in one one sense, you have, you know, the negotiations uh, that are happening uh, amongst the 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 national organi- organizations um, and the, the nation states. But then you also have this conversation uh, now at, at COP, which I think is really ingrained in the what's happening on the ground and the, you know, the, what are cities doing? You know, so cities, as, as most of your listeners know, are, are about seven, make up 70% of the, uh, the footprint with regards to GHG emissions. And we also have then the ability to change and reduce those emissions. So whether it's through uh, energy efficiency in our buildings or implementing electrification strategies uh, in the transportation sector uh, or carbon sequestration in developing parks and tree planting initiatives, a lot of the the action really hits the ground uh, within local government. And and I think that's one of the, the other key things that, that came out in this COP. And then the third thing that I, I would I would put out there that was interesting in terms of the exchange uh, in Bonn was, you know, this issue of the uh, the American presence. I, I think it was kind of telling that you, you had three sections, you know, you had the the Bond zone, the Bula zone, and then there was an American tent, um, which was, uh, you know, kind of like the Rebel Alliance, I think, meeting. <laughs> Uh, uh, next to, you know, these, uh, these deliberations and then where all the NGOs were meeting. So, uh, there was a presence there. There was also kind of the, you know, the notable absence, I think, of, of kind of our, our federal delegation. Um, but there was still a strong American contingent there that, uh, you know, for me personally, I think gives us a lot of hope. And did you hear reactions from, you know, your colleagues in other countries about the impact of that kind of local presence of the U.S. there? Um, you know, I, I think it was interesting. I mean, we, we did, you know, the, the other cities or Europeans in particular, you know, would uh, make comments uh, about our, our, our federal uh, our federal leadership. Um, you know, it, it wasn't totally overt. They're very polite about it. But um, I, I think the fact that there is still a strong American presence and engagement, particularly from cities um, in, in a solution mindset, it is one that uh, is probably the, the most heartening of the, of the engagement. That's really interesting, and I, I'm really um, curious to learn more about the Urban Transition Alliance. Maybe we can do another podcast on that as you guys continue working down that path. It, it just a, qu- a quick a quick note on that. We'd love to, and it, and I think the, you know, the the big thing about that is just the ability for cities to share the different uh, strategies and tactics that they're deploying. Um, you know, just to get energy nerd on you, but you know, we were. 
ex- exchanging uh, things that in Buffalo, for example, they've developed an anaerobic digestion system with their wastewater treatment plant. And the city of Cincinnati has 89,000 residents that they have pulled together an aggregated uh, purchasing platform for renewable power. Um, you know, the, the city of, of Essen and Pittsburgh, we had some really great conversations about uh, brownfield reclamation and uh, our desires for net zero development on, on those brownfields, you know, so, so those, those types of, of exchanges, you know, one, they, they give you a, a bolster of support, but it's also an important exchange of technical uh, knowledge that now we can take that information forward and apply those lessons in our cities. Yeah. And, you know, to me, that's always been one of the strengths of ICLEI is kind of bridging those, creating those relationships and really bridging any gaps that might exist. I know, you know, myself having been on both sides of that, uh, you know, as a local government um, staff person who got to travel internationally with ICLEI to kind of make those connections and then having worked for ICLEI, it's to me, it's one of the most important things that any group can do because it's so easy, I think, to be you know, very narrow focus, right? When you're in the thick of things in your community, and even when you think about not just the city staff, but just the individuals who live in your community, like it's very easy to be focused on what's immediately in front of you. Yep. And, yep. you know, go ahead. No, no, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, and, and that's one of the big takeaways that when I came back, um, you know, one of my, my kind of 2018 things is really to figure out how do you start to drill the lessons of those exchanges or share the lessons of those exchanges to a broader audience. Yes. Uh, and to get more people within the business units of our, uh, of local government operations engaged in those similar types of exchanges. Uh, you know, so to create other peer to peer relationships, but also just to get that simple exposure of, Hey, they're doing this here and they're just like us That's and right. we can do it. And we can do it, too. That's right. And I think, you know, you just, especially with the news these days, everything is so polarizing. And we really need to come back to the place where, hey, you know what? We're all people. And actually, when you meet individuals one-on-one, you find that, you know, and maybe they're from a country that you think is not friendly to the U.S., but when you meet the people there, you're like, that's not how they are at all. Right. You know, and a lot of folks don't have the luxury that, you know, you and I have had of being able to have those international connections and, and meet those people. And so you're right, being able to, to find a way to share that experience and have others, you know, I guess, have that realization that at the end of the day, we're, we're all just people trying to do a, the best we can. And it, how can we learn from each other and, you know, benefit from each other's actions? You know, it's true. And one of the, the fellows on the exchange, uh, uh, he was an Italian fellow, had made the remark that when you're at the, the national level and, and the negotiators are, you know, here dealing with the framework around climate change, one of the things that you can't ignore is the fact that uh, these nations are bringing baggage with them to the, the negotiating table. You know, so for example, there there might be a a conflict, uh, maybe in some cases an, an actual physical war where, you know, two nation states are fighting one another and then they're expected to go into this climate negotiation yeah. and figure it out, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and the the difference with cities is is that we don't, uh, thankfully, we don't have that that type of, uh, of conflict 
but rather we have a shared knowledge and a shared uh, language that we operate with. Mm-hmm. You know, so whether it is uh, dealing with it or a weather event or uh, managing a, a workforce or, uh, you know, just trying to conserve energy in our buildings and manage a fleet of vehicles, every city around the world is doing that. Yeah. Um, so there's a, a sense of commonality and, and shared challenge and shared purpose that we have. Yeah, that's for sure. And I think, too, just the connection that local governments have to the individuals, right? You don't get that at the federal level. That's Um, exactly right. You don't bump into your president at the grocery store, you know, but you could see your mayor (laughs) there. (laughs) That's exactly right. And you're sure to tell them about the the pothole that it hasn't been fixed or the the garbage that hasn't been picked up or, you know, whatever the case may be. That's right. And that's why, you know, in my experience, you know, this working with the local level, climate change has never been a partisan issue at that level because everyone, regardless of your political affiliation, if you're an elected official at the local level, you have a responsibility to your community members and it's keeping them safe and it's helping them thrive. And, you know, those are all important things and climate change threatens that. And so you have to look at it from that perspective. You just don't have a choice. So I've never really seen it be a partisan issue at the local level. That's it's exactly right. I mean, because you have at the local level, the the issues that manifest themselves as a result of climate change. So whether that is, uh, you know, a mitigation strategy connected to how you buy and where you buy your energy from or uh if it's dealing with a weather event like a flood or a snowstorm, these are issues that local government officials have to deal with every day. Uh, so the issue of climate change is one that they have to be focused on because they're either exacerbating existing challenges or they're trying to mitigate the impacts of what those those challenges brought on by climate change are. Yep, exactly. So. Let's take a step back because, uh, as you know, um, I was involved in the early days uh, with Pittsburgh. You guys have been taking action on climate change for the last decade. Um, And, you know, as we talked earlier, maybe that's a surprise to some folks, uh, but certainly not to to those of us who uh, were were there along for the ride. And and I remember really enjoying the process, you know, watching the process that Pittsburgh was going through to try to develop its first climate action plan, Mm -hmm. you know, really doing everything right, bringing in key partners and identifying the opportunities and the challenges. And so I'd love to hear, and I know you're newer to the city, but of course you're familiar with, you know, kind of the transition that the city's been making. So let's Let's talk a little bit about kind of that transition from industrial city to the sustainability focus, and then maybe give some good examples of some of the work you're doing now. Sure, sure. So, so I think you know, kind of the environmental ethos in, in Pittsburgh is you know rooted back probably two or three generations. I mean, we're the the home of Rachel Carson, and uh, you know, kind of her her early fights to to shine the light on you know effectively what. Uh, industry was doing to our environment, right? Um, Pittsburgh was the first place to enact a Clean Air Act uh, because of the pollution that was being uh, brought on by industrial activity, and and that so it's it's been a part of our heritage and our ethos, and I think that you know a lot of things uh, you know really exacerbated that back in the 
really starting, I think, in the, the early 1990s and mid-1990s, where we were, you know, finally to the realization that the the steel industry and the mills that were existing along our rivers were not going to come back in the 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 way that many folks at the time had hoped. And, you know, what that started to look like was a physical transformation of our riverfront. Uh, so it's been, you know, the reclamation of uh, former industrial sites and known as brownfields into uh, everything from retail to residential to office space along our rivers. Uh, likewise, kind of a, 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 a both a, a what was at the time unique, but now many other cities have started to emulate uh, the development of a really robust trail network uh, that that exists along our riverfront. So, so that that industrial transition started to precipitate a host of creativity with regards to how we transform the physical space uh, of the city. And then when you you come in into the the early to mid 2000s, uh, you know, when 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 we were getting engaged with groups like ICLEI around climate planning, I think a lot of that historical context uh, came to a pin uh, a pinpoint where we realized we needed to think more aggressively with regards to uh, both the role of the city and 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 you know the city as a whole with regards to how do we address issues like climate change. Um, so partnerships with our, our local NGOs, uh, non-governmental organizations, uh, and our universities and, and groups like ICLEI started to, to lead us to developing our, our, you know, our first emissions inventory, um, which was done by a group of students at Carnegie Mellon uh, back in 2004-2005. And now, fast forward to today... You know, our emissions inventory has been certified by the American Geophysical Union and uh, not the students, but there's professors now at Carnegie Mellon and, you know, atmospheric science that are helping us uh, develop those inventories and understand some of the strategies that we have. So, you know, the 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 industry uh, and kind of the the rigor of detail that we're focusing in on climate change issues has greatly expanded over the last decade. Um, you know, in, in terms of some of the things that we are we are doing right now, a lot of it is being led in part because of the strategies and the community engagement that we have done uh, in, in climate action planning, but also in resilience planning. So our our efforts with the Hundred Resilient Cities program, uh, powered by the Rockefeller Foundation, have allowed us to layer a new an additional lens into our, our work on sustainability and climate, which is that issue of resilience. Um, and it was a result of those issues. I think we're now starting to really pinpoint uh, on some catalytic investment activities. Uh, so for example, thinking about not just vehicle electrification, um, we just, you know, proud to say we just bought, uh, introduced into our fleet, the, the, the first five electric vehicles Nice. Uh, were delivered this week and uh, into our motor pool. But it's not just about uh, having electric vehicles. We're also looking to change the source of fuel. So we've, uh, in addition to that, we're starting to provide zero emissions uh, uh, fuel sourcing through uh, the EV ARC program, where we have uh, solar, char solar generation match with our charging infrastructure. 
Um, so, and, and the reason for that is because through our analysis, we found that if you're, you know, using electric vehicle, it's really great and a positive move. But if you're here in the upper Midwest in the Great Lakes region, you're still connecting to a largely uh, fossil fuel grid. Right. So, um, so we've now started to make, you know, a full zero emissions uh, from, from fuel source to tailpipe type of ecosystem. Um, and that's a result of, you know, just an example as a result of community engagement, understanding the data, and then selecting the right project application in order to move the needle in the right direction. That's awesome. You guys are also, um, you know, I know you've been looking at things like microgrids and circular economy. Um, you know, you it's there's so much now for sustainability and resilience officers to to even be thinking about. Um, and I know there's a few of you in the, in that office, but it's certainly not 25 people. Um, you know, how do you kind of go through the prioritization process? Because there's a lot to take on here. Certainly. Um, you know, it's uh, you kind of take the, the, the path of being like water, right? Like uh, sometimes you have to be rigid. Sometimes you have to you have to float off into the distance and sometimes you have to find the path of least resistance. Um, for us, it, it's been really about using these these what I'll call intersecting circles of sustainability resilience, and then also technology or kind of the smart cities movement and finding ways in which, you know, those different attributes can confluence together has allowed us to, to create a lens that we look through with regards to deciding on uh, both projects that we're able to take on, but also some sometimes it might be um, figuring out what is the right role for the city. Uh, in some cases, we might be a data provider. In some cases, uh, we might be a communicator or convener. Um, in some cases, we might be using capital budget resources or the development cycle or using ordinances and public policy. So it depends upon the issue, um, but we've, we've tried to be really strategic, uh, both in terms of you know, finding where uh, co-benefits exist um, as well as, you know, what's the right point in time for the right intervention. That seems like a good approach. I love it. <laughs> um, one of the things that I really loved from, um, one PGH is just this theme of, and it's kind of a sentence pulled out, but this building resilience through the power of neighbors, and I think, um, you know, especially in this day and age, and I talk about it a lot with my my dashboard and turning data into story, like we've really complicated things. Like we've really yeah. made things harder and harder for people to follow and understand. And when you start thinking about, you know, geoengineering and trying to, you know, prepare for changes in climate and let's pull carbon out of the sky and, you know. <laughs> I think there's a lot of, you know, these engineering minded um, approaches to becoming more resilient and sustainable. Yeah. Um, but really at the heart of it, and I feel like that's where you guys get to it, it's, it's getting people together to pay yep. attention, to know your neighbor and know if they need help, you know. Talk a little bit about kind of this approach, because I think it's such an important reason that Pittsburgh's experienced this transformation, because you're not just focused on the new the newest like technology that's out there hey look at this great stuff we're doing and in, in winning accolades you're really trying to bring 
everyone along for the ride here. And that's really important, particularly from a city that has a, a pretty deep industrial past. Sure, sure. It's, uh, you know, a lot of that came together as a result of, you know, really thinking about the the, the last election and, and, and kind of the, the 2016 cycle in general. And and that was the, you know, the just to set the context, that was the point in time in which we were uh, developing uh, our resilience strategy, one PGH, and doing a lot of our community engagement. And, and you see that, uh, I think, not just across Pittsburgh or the United States, but across the world, is that there's a, a, a shift or shifts, plural, in terms of, uh, you know, the way that things have been done in the past, you know, whether it's uh, the issues of technology or migration or, um, you know, urbanization or, or, or stresses that we're feeling because of a changing climate, that that's all impacting our individual lives. And when we look at Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh is a, a place that is uh, only 55 square miles. Uh, it's a pretty relatively, by North American standards, a relatively dense city um, in terms of population and the built environment. And that, that 55 square miles is broken up into 90 separate uh, and very distinct neighborhoods that carry their own identity. Um, that are then separated by hills and valleys and rivers. Uh, so, so the historical context of Pittsburgh is one is that those places, um, you know, I, I tell the story of uh, when I first started as a community organizer and I was at a conference with a group from Pittsburgh and uh, they were asking us where we were from and, and one woman in our group said that she was from Fineview, uh, which is a neighborhood in Pittsburgh. Uh, so she identified from her neighborhood, not from, you know, the actual city in which she lives in. And I think it's that connection to place that, uh, you know, is really rooted with regards to identifying where your home is and, and you, you know, you, the neighborhood that you care about and the place that you care about. And then the second piece of that puzzle for us was just, you know, realizing in addition to some of those roots that were also the home to Mr. Rogers neighborhood. So mm -hmm. Fred Rogers and, um, you know, the great work that, that he, that he had led as, uh, you know, effectively a childhood educator for so many of us, um, to just go back to those roots and understand that, you know, that a, that people are at the core of a city and it's the place that they call home that they identify with. Um, and it's the people that live next door to them or the apartment uh, upstairs that those are the people that make up the fabric and, and the quality of their community. Um, and, and that's where our, our strategies really start, because we're trying to effectively help those citizens, neighbors and residents that as local government uh, personnel that that we are charged with helping to help care and provide for. Um but then the other piece of that for us, which is, you know, going into, you know, kind of the, the, the technical stuff that you're talking about or the engineering is that those people in a place have a responsibility to our planet. And then we also have a responsibility to measure that performance um, of those different interventions that we're making, because that helps us improve uh, and, and institute a, a system of continuous improvement over time. So if we're making a decision with regards to, you know, how we pave roads and it's not working and 
well, we need to go back and reevaluate that um, and, and make changes and, and, and make adjustments. Um, so, so that's been a key piece of our lesson, though, is that even within all these kind of technical attributes and, and things that we're working on, you know, modernizing the way that we offer local government services, at the core, it's always about people and it's always about the places that we call home. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you engaged um, your neighborhoods through either, you know, one PGH development or, you know, through other planning processes or your different programs, your 2030 district. Is there is there certain strategies that have become kind of the go-to because you're seeing more success and increases in interest and engagement? Yeah, we've, we've, we've used... Uh a variety of strategies. Uh, and, and, you know, I'd first start off by saying is one of the things that we've learned, the lesson of community engagement is that A, there's never enough and B, you're never done. Um, you know, so there's a a continuous cycle of, of engagement that is required with communities. Um, now more than ever, I think because of the, the distributed nature of, of media, and, and where people are getting information from. Um, so you're not just turning on the five o'clock news or picking up the, the morning paper or, or, you know, there's, there's not just one community meeting. There might be 10 different uh, communities of interest meetings in a single community in a given night. Um, so you have to have a, a, a distributed engagement strategy to match that uh, distributed nature of information uh, uh, distribution. And for us, what we've done is, uh, you know, trying to leverage, uh, trying to leverage a, a variety of those uh, engagement strategies um, and, and to adopt uh, the engagements of other actors in our community. So effectively, you know, we have not done all of the community engagement, but we've we've kind of um, allowed the the work of other community partners, other city departments, uh, to you know do their engagement, and then uh, basically find ways in which to um, uh, you know to to create connection and and integration of their work into the one PGH and the climate action strategy. So that that's been one tactic. But one one specific activity that I talk about that we've done that was really, uh, I think, wildly successful is the use of deliberative forums. Uh, so these are, um, you know, a little bit different than the, the typical town hall where you might have a, a, a panel of quote unquote experts at the front of the room and and citizens and residents come up and and air their concerns and complaints at a microphone. But in a deliberative forum. Uh, while you have a resource panel available, the other piece of it is uh, effectively getting neighbors around a table together. So maybe, you know, eight to ten residents discussing a specific topic. Um, and that allows for a variety of viewpoints to come to the table, but also it encourages kind of the, the tables to work in a, in a facilitated uh, and consensus building fashion. And that's been something that's been really successful for us. Oh, that's great. And you talked a lot about kind of evaluation and, and performance. Um, are there particular tools that you find particularly useful that maybe you would recommend um, 
to other cities that want to move forward? You know, one one of the the big pieces of of, of my work uh, over the first couple years uh, here at the city of Pittsburgh was uh, the establishment of of key performance indicators. Um, and when my I tell this story, whenever my uh, first manager had asked me when we started here, what what are your key performance indicators? And I told her I had to get back to her and, and I'll, I'll let you know. And then I left the room and, and quickly Googled key performance. <laughs> um, and, and, and I think which, which part of that is, you know, local government is now starting to adopt a lot more of the, um, you know, of, of, a, of a, I don't want to say a business mindset that in many cases that's always been there, but, some of these, you know, Harvard Business School review types of tactics like key performance indicators um, haven't really existed in a lot of local governments. Yeah. Um, so in, in, in many cases, uh, while, you know, while I tell, uh, tell that story is that we really didn't have indicators in place from a sustainability uh, uh, aspect. And as a result, what we've had to do is to both identify, you know, where existing data might uh, might be and we can apply it into developing a KPI. Um, but in many cases, we've had to go out and create that data ourselves um, in, in terms of new forms of collection and identification. Um, you know, so, so that that's one aspect of it. But the other piece of it is we've also started to institute, uh, you know, kind of a a series of, 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 you know, different types of indicators from the global, national, uh, regional, or district and building level to help us manage performance. Um, so we now have, you know, fleet baseline inventories that, we, that we've developed, 15-minute uh, interval data for energy consumption in our city-county building. Um, so on the micro scale, but then we also use tools like Carbon Disclosure Project and ACEEE uh, as, as kind of uh, ways for us to monitor our performance on a global and national level. Great. Those are really good examples for folks. Um, I know we're running out of time, so I want to um, focus on, I guess, two quick things uh, to wrap up. Um, one, of course, uh, you and I connected when I was just in Pittsburgh last month uh, in October, uh, for Al Gore's climate reality leadership training. And, um, you know, Mayor Perduto was there and really he had, he spoke a few times at, at the um, training and just had such a great story to tell. And, and I do remember when I was working with Pittsburgh, you know, in 2007, you know, what a leader he was on city council. And, and he was the one who sponsored the project to get the greenhouse gas inventory and climate action plan going. So, you know, I guess I want to get from your perspective, and, and it seems so obvious, but maybe give us kind of the, the details of what it really means to have, you know, your leadership driving this, because right. that's not what the case for everyone. So, you know, what does it really mean for you guys to have that and kind of an impact you think you're having because of it? I, I, it, it means a ton. Uh, you know, I think... You know, one of the the key pieces. I mean, the, as you said, the mayor's been at the forefront of, of of this work from a local government perspective, going back to the his time on council in the the mid two thousands. And you know, as as a result of that, 
you know, him and, and some of the other elected officials at the time being a catalyst for this type of thinking, it's really developed a, a strong network uh, here locally between our universities and NGOs and our private sector, too. Um, so when you look at the Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh is one of the only cities that has a two, not just one, but two 2030 districts where we have about 60 to 70 percent of commercial real estate working to reduce energy and water consumption by 50 percent by the year 2030. And that's in large part being led by uh, organizations like PNC Bank and University of Pittsburgh Medical Center and University of Pittsburgh and Carnegie Mellon and Chatham University. So, you know, kind of the, the major employers and drivers in our economy are at the forefront of that. Um, and that doesn't start without having, you know, leaders like Mayor Peduto at the forefront of, of making those initial catalytic decisions. And it's been the same, I think, in our time here in, uh, you know, as, as an administration where, uh, you know, we have developed a culture of, of investigation and evaluation um, that is testing and deploying technologies that you know, are, are, are cleaning and improving our environment, um, you know, and as a result of that, it's creating a, a real synthesis, I think, between uh, not just research and development, but, but now actual product application. So, you know, his leadership is thought of as being environmental based, but it's also about uh, creating kind of the economic drivers for, you know, for the 21st century. Um and then in terms of as being a, a staff or a team member to that, you know, it, it's given us a lot of um, a lot of leeway with regards to serving as those those initiators and, and catalysts within uh, the different business units of of the, the city government um, to the extent now that, you know, our uh, different departments are looking to us as resources rather than, you know, just the you know, the, the green people, right. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're, we're kind of integrated in decision-making, um, which is super huge to, you know, as you know, uh, one of the key aspects of sustainability is to really be at the table, yeah. um, and to be at the table at the beginning and not at the end, um, in order to kind of help, uh, both navigate, but also to instill sustainability and, 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 resilience thinking from the onset. Um, and that starts at the top for us. So uh, I, I think that's been hugely uh, complimentary to the mayor and his leadership. And so kind of reflecting on everything we've talked about in, in this transformation that Pittsburgh's been under, um, you know, what would be three key things that you would recommend other cities do as far as, you know, if they want to get going on this and really think about how to be more sustainable and resilient as a means to improve their overall quality of life. Wow. That's, that's a tough one. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I guess it would be kind of maybe, maybe just working backwards from our, our, our conversation is that, um, you know, three things would first is to establish a, a system of measurement. Um, so that you you really need to understand this goes from the local government sector into the corporate sector, I think, as well is that, you know, if you are able to understand how the 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 
you know, the, whether it's the business unit and within the operations of local government or even within um, kind of citywide systems like water or transport, if you have a system of, of measurement and baseline understanding of where you are, that enables you then to, you know, create a system of improvement. Um, the second thing is I would say is that, you know, really it's an imperative as, as sustainability folks to, to get, to get ourselves at the table. Um, and that can be either, you know, through leadership and convening our own tables and, and pulling people together, um, or being the nudge and, and kind of intersecting yourself into conversations so that, that typical, uh, decision-making, excuse me, isn't just part of the status quo, but we're actually, you know, starting to initiate change. And then I, I think the third and the, maybe not the final thing, but the third thing that I'd say is that for us, it's been really important to intersect these aspects of sustainability and resilience together. Um, because, you know, when you look at one in isolation, it takes you down a certain path, but when you bring them together, you can really start to see some uh, some sweet spots with regards to decision making. Those are three very good tips. You did not need to be worried about that question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Grant, I can't thank you enough. This has been such a great conversation. And I know I speak for all my listeners when I say that we're just super excited to continue to see the leadership coming out of Pittsburgh. Um, you know, it's such a good model and, and there's lots of cities doing great work, but some cities can be the leader for everyone else, uh, given, and what I mean by that is, you know, there are certain cities that are always doing really good stuff on sustainability. They have the money, they have the right demographics, if you will. I'm using quotes here with my fingers. Um, but that's not always a story that everyone can get around. And Pittsburgh is for sure one of those cities that is a story that lots of folks can be inspired by um, and say, wow, I can connect with Pittsburgh. I can understand what it's like to be that city and the struggles they've had. Um, and it, it gives them hope. Um, so I think it's so important, the work that you're doing, Mayor Perduto, and, and the whole team over there. And I commend you and uh, we'll look forward to hearing more. Yeah, well, thanks, Kim. We really appreciate the opportunity to share our story with your listeners. And, um, you know, anytime we, we can help, we, we're happy to do so. Awesome, Grant. Well, you take care. All right. Thank we'll you. talk soon. All right. Cheers. Thanks. Thank you for joining this episode of SAS Talk with Kim. You can listen to other podcasts in our sustainability action series at sastalkwithkim.com. Remember that action is the key to your community's sustainable future. What will you act on today?